listen, same vision is for equal rights and justice for the people, them. What's happening to this beautiful world that we're living in? World citizen, lift up your voices. Welcome, everyone, to the People Power Planet podcast done by the World is My Country Club. And we're so happy to have everybody here. Thank you so much for joining us. Today is World Citizen Action Day. What do we do on World Citizen Action Day? We collaborate, we uh, join other organizations, and we support what we want to see in the world. So today, Arthur, if he's there, he's going to tell a little bit, quick little history about the World Citizen Action Day, which is actually celebrated tomorrow, the 25th. But since we have our meeting today, it's today, we're doing it today. So, you know, just like birthdays you do, celebrate sometimes different days. Um, so Arthur, can you go ahead and tell us a little history about World Citizen Action Day? Oh, one moment, please. Stand by. Anyway, what did you say, David? Uh, I mean, I can start talking about why. Yes, well, yes. While we're waiting for Arthur. On May 25th, 1948, so 75 years ago tomorrow, Gary Davis, uh, for I think it was the, his third time, went into the U.S. Embassy in Paris uh, to try to give up his national citizenship. And I mean, I think everybody here on the call either has seen the film The World is My Country uh, or has read the book uh, My Country is the World <laughs> and is aware of Gary's story and why he felt compelled to give up his uh, American citizen or his national citizen because of the his brother being killed, because of the killing that he did as a bomber pilot, uh, and having read the book Anatomy of Peace by Emery Reeves, which said, there is no first step to world government. World government is the first step. And Gary said, what can I do as an individual, as, as just one person, what can I do to try to get out of this war system? So he was always after the war, worried that he would be called up again from reserves into the, uh, he was in the Air Corps, but by then maybe it was the Air Force, that he'd be called up again to kill his fellow humans. And, and we know all Gary really wanted to do as an actor, as a comedian, was to make people laugh, was to uh, share the, you know, the human experience of, of living, of loving life, loving the earth with each other. And that was what decided him to go to Paris and, and hand in that U.S. passport. So the, this is an action day because we're, you might say, honoring the action that Gary took, the brave action of handing in uh, that passport and saying, look, when I leave the embassy, I'll have nothing. I'll have no document to identify myself, which is what happened over the next five or six years. He had no document until he created the world passport later on to help identify himself. So he, he wanted to imagine a world where there was or there is no war where it's a, a rule governed by law and by us, the people of the world. So it's we, we celebrate what he did, but then we take those actions. And that's what I think we'll be doing the rest of the day today is talking about what actions can we take, like the brave action that Gary did as a, as a decorated you know bomber pilot, right? To, to give up that, that uh, for many people, what, what they think of as, as you know, uh, an important part of their uh, existence. And so what we're trying to do is to help people understand that our humanity, of course, as well as our other allegiances that we might have are also important. Wow. Thank you so much, David. That beautifully sums it up. And it's just 
Uh, what an incredible thing Gary Davis did. Um, can you can you imagine doing that yourself? We're we're so we have our identification, we have our passport, we want to travel, and here's this brave, courageous man, um, you know, changing the world by first of all giving up his citizenship. I think you have Arthur here. Arthur, you go right ahead. I'm I'm in the middle of a kind of a a family uh, crisis that we've been working on. So, but I'm pleased to uh, chat with everybody. Um, so uh, today, uh, well, today's a really special day because uh, throughout history, there have been so many people who've talked about, you know, Socrates and, and uh, Gandhi and many other people talked about world citizenship, but he was, as an actor, <laughs> was full of action. And so he was the first one to actually act on it, just go ahead and give up any national citizenship and just say, I am a citizen of the world. Gary was truly, truly a remarkable man. I had such a great honor to get to be his video biographer, you know, and, and uh, his story was, when I, when I first uh, met Gary, I knew him as the passport guy, and I, I uh, uh, admired him for the world passport and his philosophy, but I never knew what an incredible story of action he had. Uh, and uh, I was working on trying to make a film to uh, bring world peace. And Gary's uh, son, uh, Troy, said, uh, well, if you want to make a, fil- a film about how to bring about world peace, you got to read my dad's book, My Country of the World. Well, I kept reading it. And page after page, I was going, wow, this is so filled of action, action. Every single scene was action. And when Martin Sheen watched the same thing, he said the same thing. This is so filled with action. What an incredible story. What a great way to bring. Wow, this is incredible. Top actors would love to play Camus and Sartre and Eleanor Roosevelt and the various people he ran into because he was filled with action. And I mean, it was just astounding how nothing could frighten him. Nothing could deter him. I mean, he would, uh, you know, a lot of us see a border and we see, uh, you know, this big, scary, intimidating border and and people with guns and with barbed wire and all that. He saw a set, you know, (laughs) he said, look, this is a play. They want me to play into their play. There's not really a line here. Look, they have no line. They made it up. They're They're playing a play and their play is, we have a border here and you have to listen to us and we are the officials. So he said, well, I outrank you. Oh, I am the citizen of the world and I outrank you. You are just a officer with some petty country. I'm the one who outranks you and I am crossing this border. And he would just do it and he would start carry. In fact, you see in our film, police are trying to grab him, pull him in. Well, he doesn't care if they pull him in. Okay. Or if he sits down on the border and he stays there, you know, he, he's, he's taking action. And he is living a life of action. And it's such an incredible story. And I'm so pleased we got to put it into the film because, you know, the film is just a fraction, a fraction of the many actions he took. Like, let me tell you one example of an action he took that was not in our movie. He traveled on his world passport and managed to get into Israel. But then he went to go from Israel to Jordan and the Israeli agents, you know, let him go. And he gets to Jordan and, and they say, you know, where's your passport? He says, I'm a world citizen. I, you know, I'm, and, and they say, no, you can't go. And so, of course, he tells the, the Israeli guy, same thing you saw in the movie that happened in, in Paris. So he said, well, where does Jordan end? 
The guy says, what do you mean, where is Jordan then? He said, well, this is Jordan on this side of the river, and that's Israel on the other side. Where does Jordan end? He says, well, they're in the middle of the bridge. The guy said, okay, and he goes to the middle of the bridge and <laughs> sits down and at the edge of the of the, the walkway or whatever, and and they the, off, the, the, the Jordanian officer comes up running up and says, you can't stay here, Monsieur, you can't stay here. The Israeli officer comes up, and uh, so neither one, of course, will, will admit him. So he says, now, wait a minute, why can't I stay here? Well, because it's getting dark. And Gary says, you don't think I know that? I know it's getting dark. They said, yeah, but that's when we shoot at each other. He says, what? During the day, you cooperate letting people cross this bridge, and at night, you shoot at each other? Do you hear yourselves? Take off your uniforms, throw down your guns, and join me on this line. This is the only free spot in the world. <laughs> so uh, anyway, he was a man of action, and I salute him for this World Citizen Action Day. What an incredible anniversary. Yeah. I'm going to say au revoir. Uh, have a Thank great, you, uh, Arthur. A great Thank rest you, of Arthur. the podcast. Thank you so Good much, luck. Arthur. Wow, wow, wow. What a story of action. That Gary Davis. He was amazing, so courageous, uh, and and we too, a lot of us uh, have done important actions. I'm looking at Frank right now, um, Ellen. You know, so many beautiful people here today, and now I want to go send this back to David Gallup. He's going to tell us some stories of how Gary Davis's action of setting up the World Citizen Government has helped people. How has how that action has incredibly flowed down to these amazing people today? So um, go ahead, David. Sure. Thank you, Melanie, and thank you for facilitating our conversation today in celebration of this 75th anniversary. Not only of Gary's initial action of giving up that national citizenship and and making us aware that we can be the governors of our world, that we can be world citizens if we choose so. Uh, and what that meant for him, what that means for us. Uh, but so I, I came to World Service Authority in 1992. So this is my 31st year here, believe it or not, uh, as the chief attorney, as a general counsel for the organization. And as a general counsel, you're taught, oh, you're there to protect the organization, right? You're, you're representing the organization and protecting it. But I, I learned within just the first few months of working here that actually my job wasn't really so much to protect World Service Authority as the administrative branch of this world citizen government uh, that issues these documents that helps to pe people to identify themselves, that helps them to claim their rights. But that actually, I was here to help uh, explain and educate to the public what their rights are, to, to let everyone know that we have these rights and that we can claim them. So what I like to say is that I have two clients. Those are humanity and the earth. <laughs> so those are uh, those are the, the clients that we as an organization really are here to not only re represent, but to back up in a sense. There are a lot of people who are falling through the cracks in this international system that we've set up that we're still uh, running with. And we're here to try to catch those people. So I can tell you a few uh, quick stories that pertain to the work that I've done through through uh, training from Gary. Uh, he was never he was never trained as a lawyer, but he was one of the best lawyers that I, I've ever met because he he had to represent himself in various legal cases over the course of of his life to claim world citizenship status and to come and go, hopefully as he pleased from one place to another. And as, as Arthur mentioned, Gary would never take no for an answer. He would always try to turn that no into a yes. 
Uh, and of course, Gary would always say, as soon as a border official or an immigration official says no, that actually opens up the conversation where you can explain to them who you are, what you're doing, and then they really actually appreciate the work that you're doing. And they may even ask for a world password uh, in, in, their, in their actions to, to hopefully assist you. So a couple quick examples of how we have helped uh, the global public. There was an individual who uh, had uh, fled from uh, Palestine and he had made his way to Texas um, and he reached out to us. This wasn't actually even to get documents at that point. He was, had applied for asylum. He had a lawyer who was working on his case. It's a really interesting story how uh, he, the reason he fled was because he had been a, uh, a server at a restaurant uh, in, in the is Israeli side, you might say. Uh, and uh, one day he saw some uh, teenagers writing epithets on like the side of a wall right near the restaurant. So he informed the restaurant owner about it. And unfortunately, the next day, a police captain came by and said to the, this, this young man, uh, thank you so much for reporting on those that, you know, those, the, those, and he called them those Palestinian, you know, rabble rousers or whatever, you know, used an epithet in a sense against them. You know, this is important. And we know that you have a work permit here in, in Israel, uh, you know, even though you're from the West Bank, uh, we would like to keep that renewed, but only if you act as a um, resource or source uh, for us. So it was almost like twisting his arm saying, you know, we'll keep allow you to stay and work, but only if you uh, tat you know, tattle, so to speak, on, on uh, others. So, you know, this was a horrible situation. He didn't know what to do, but he needed the funds to send back to his family, right, in the West Bank. Um, and then it just so happened that somehow people in the West Bank got, you know, heard the news of all this. And in the middle of the night, they kidnapped him from his apartment brought him back into the West Bank and basically had him secluded somewhere where no one knew where he was. It was a horrible situation. Um, but fortunately, his mother uh, reached out to some lawyers. The lawyers were able to negotiate some kind of agreement with his, the, the people who captured him, right? Which may have been sort of, I don't know if they were governmental officials or some, who knows, some, some somebody maybe working with clandestinely with the government. And they said, okay, we need to go meet with him. Uh, so you need to you know, release him so we can meet with him. And it just so happened that they somehow snuck him out while they were meeting with him, got him to an airport and flew him out of there. And that was how he got out of Israel and Palestine, basically to save his life. So this is about, about when we got, he got a hold of us. And he said, I know you have a legal department. I know you, you uh, advocate on behalf of people's human rights no matter who they are, right? Uh, and we said, of course. And he's like, well, you know, I really, I'm afraid to go back either to Israel because there I'm looked at as a Palestinian. They don't want me there, right? Uh, and, or I might be, you know, forced to do things that I don't want to do. Uh, or if they, they send me back to Palestine, I'll be considered a traitor, right? Against my, my people, so to speak. So we said, okay, give us all the details of everything that's happened we'll write a legal brief. So we wrote about a 15 to 20 page amicus curiae brief. We sent it to his lawyer who was so thankful. She said, you know, thank you so much for this brief. I've been had so many clients. I haven't really been able to, to get everything I need to do to prepare for his case, but this is such a great brief. It was on a Friday afternoon. It was about 3 p.m. Uh, she's like, I've got to drive this down, this brief down to the court and submit it because all everything has to be submitted to a court, usually about 10 days in advance. 
and submit the brief on his behalf, which thank goodness she she did because of, uh, the the hearing was about you know fourteen or so days later. Uh, he actually got asylum. And I really think if it had not been for our brief, he might not have gotten asylum because one of the things we do is to try to uh, pull on the heartstrings of a judge or a jury, uh, or basically in other, way, in other words, evoke an emotional response to support uh, our fellow humans in a situation where for, for him being returned to either Israel or Palestine could have been certain death, right? So that's one example of, of where we helped an individual. Believe it or not, in just about two hours, uh, an individual from Angola is coming to our office. One of the first clients we've had come to our office since the pandemic, actually, because uh, we were you know, basically closed to the public because of that. He's coming in because we drafted a brief for him in 2016, which helped him to stay in the United States. But now, because the US government thinks that the situation in Angola has changed, that he could return there. So now they want to revoke the asylum, which is ridiculous after they've given it to him and his son. So now we're uh, one of my uh, legal interns. We have uh, every uh, internship session, uh, spring, summer, fall, we have students, law students and lawyers from around the world, as well as communication students. And, and Arthur and Melanie had a film uh, a promotion and distribution internship. So we have multiple actions through our internship programs. Uh, speaking of World Citizen Action Day. Uh, and so that uh, one of the student interns is going to be coming into our office and we're going to be doing some interviewing and counseling of uh, this individual from Angola today to see what whether we can update the brief, what we can do to prevent his deportation. Because I know if he's returned to Angola, maybe he won't be killed like the, the other person I was talking about, but potentially he could be detained, he could be tortured and harassed. And obviously we want to prevent that. So Besides, I mean, a lot of people know World Service Authority and the World Citizen Government for the documents that we issue, for, like the World Passport or our World ID, our World Birth Certificate, that have helped many, many people, like our birth certificate has helped uh, uh, people around the world, like a, a child who was born of non-ethnically uh, uh, related, uh, you know, uh, to a particular country, uh, parents. Uh, and so that country may not issue that child a birth certificate, meaning the child can't go to school, the child can't go to a doctor simply because they have no identification. And that's about a billion people on the planet, actually, who are undocumented, majority of whom are women and girls in, in Southeast Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa. But besides the documents that we issue, we also provide free legal advocacy to refugees, to stateless persons. So, and, and we don't we don't have, no one pays for that service. It's a free service. It's pro bono. Uh, so this is the kind of work that I am so proud of uh, that this organization does in addition to the day-to-day -day, uh, identification of people. We're an organization that both uh, sees the trees and the forest, meaning we are helping individuals on a day-to-day -day basis in exercising their rights and understanding the rights and claiming the rights and exposing violations of, of their rights. But we also see this big picture, the whole forest, so to speak, uh, of what kind of world do we want to have and how? what actions do we need to take to get to that world? So I, I, pr I pretty much feel like the rest of our conversation today will be to talk about some of the actions that, that we can take as individual human beings uh, in this world, uh, this world that's, that a lot of people are suffering in, that we can uh, make a change, us as individuals. David, oh my, David, David, this is what David and the people working at the World Service Authority deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. There's incredible stories of people surviving and 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 help. They're helping them um, with documents and legal aid and 
heart-wrenching stories, letter after letter. You can see in our, you can see that some in our movie, but uh, this is such important work. And like David said, you know, they're also looking at the forest. So it's, it's solving the problem. So these things don't happen and getting us away from being stuck in little borders in the national system, such important work. And that is why we have action days. We collaborate, we collaborate with an organization and we take action. And today, the action we're going to take today is supporting supporting what David and the WSA, the World Citizen Government, is doing. So I'm asking you today to open up your checkbooks, you know, basically, because we want this to continue. Do we want this work to continue? I always say, support what you want to see in the world. It, if it's just $5, $10, whatever you can do, whatever you feel you can do. I mean, there are uh, world passports that you can get are, are more expensive, but what you're doing is supporting someone else who cannot pay. I mean, that with the exchange rate in other countries, uh, when they look at the price to get a world, uh, world passport, it's unreal. It's like, you know, a dollar is how much I made today or whatever. So what we're going to do right now is I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna share my screen and we're just gonna go through what the World Service Authority, the World Citizen Government uh, has uh, uh, on their website. So I'm gonna share my screen right now. And here we go. First we have, of course, here is the website. You just go to worldcitizen.gov.org Org. And here you have refugees, incredible refugees that receive the passport, incredible story, another incredible story, tons of credit. David could go on and on and on for hours talking about what he's doing, but he has to get out and do it rather than he can't just talk about it. And he needs support. He needs support from us. Who does he need support from? Every single one of us here today. So, um, if you, do, if you don't have a world passport, the reason why you would get one is supporting this organization, but it's it's a humanitarian tool. It's, it's something you could feel, hold, and show to other people. It's uh, an ID for some of you might need, you know, use it as an ID. I have successfully, no problem. And so there, but there's other, there's other documents. There's, um, here you can go to, you just simple click on documents apply online because now it's all online. So I would like everyone, if you can get on your computer, if you're on your computer, just click on that documents and go apply online. And this uh, this is very important information for folks that are gonna use it as, um, you know, it's like something life or death. They need to, you know, we need to read that and recognize that this is, you have to know your rights. You have to know article 13.2, what it's, uh, that it's from the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. You have the right to travel, leave your country, return to your country. Now, here are the prices. So it's really for, me, $125 doesn't seem like a lot. So $125, you can do that. But five years, it's less. Um, here's the 15 years. You can have one for 15 years. And that, like I said, is supporting. David, how many people can have another, can have a passport for free with $500? Right. So it's not even just passports. We also issue other documents like- That's World right. Island cards, world IDs, world birth certificates for that. So generally when someone makes a donation of of $500, we, we issue between five and 10 
free documents to to people. In fact, that picture on the home page of the website mm. was all, of all the Agoni refugees. We issued close to 1,500 um, uh, world passports. That's just a small group of them uh, to these refugees who uh, many of them had fled Nigeria because they were living in their homeland called Agoni land, uh, which had uh, uh, an oil company had been digging uh, in their uh, land on their land, you know, with permission from the Nigerian government, and it really destroyed their watershed. It destroyed uh, their capability of living there. So many fled to Benin. So this is a group of refugees from Benin who really are sure we gave, like I said, uh, many passports to them. Some of them found it useful to either leave the refugee camp during the day to actually work elsewhere outside the refugee camp because they needed an ID. Some even actually left the refugee camp to other countries in Africa to try to start a new life elsewhere. Mm. So the, mm. the donation like that does help us provide gratis documents to, to people around the world and not just refugees and stateless people, but, you know, we do take into consideration uh, people's economic status because there, you might be, there might be somebody living on a fixed income and, and they may not be able to, to, you know, afford all of the fees. We, we, we understand that. Exactly. Exactly. So here's the, here's the, the actions we can take. You can, if you don't have a world passport, please get one, please. As a world citizen, we are all world citizens. You're born as a world citizen. You're born on the world. Um, you, if you recognize that and realize that that's huge because you're starting to think, okay, uh, let's think of the world as a collective, the future generations, let's think of them. Um, but to have a world passport is fantastic. It's phenomenal. You can you can show that to everybody and spread the word. Um, here we have uh, the the mounts. Here are the other documents: identity cards, birth certificates, birth card, um, international exit visa. That talk about the international exit visa, David. Tell tell us about that. Sure. Well, so that was started to be issued in 1990 because a lot of people were trying to leave their country and were rejected at a border or occasionally border guards would say, oh, well, pay me $50 or $25 and I'll let you leave. So by having issued uh, an exit visa based on article 13, section two, uh, as well as uh, of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and article, um, uh, I think it's article 12, also section two of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights that says everyone has the right to leave their country uh, uh, um, and to return to their country. So you have a right to leave. So even if you don't, haven't been given maybe an entry visa by a particular nation state, you are supposed to be able to at least leave your country, certainly especially for someone in a refugee or stateless kind of situation where they're being persecuted. So that's what, why we started issuing the exit visa in a sense as a tool placed in the world password that you can show to a border official and say, no, I, I already have my uh, exit visa. You don't, I don't have to pay you anything. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I do want, of course, highlight for the fact that for only $40 plus the, the shipping fee, you can actually register as a world citizen. So that means you are not giving up any other allegiance that you have or patriotism that you have to any other part of the planet or to to your, you know, any anything else that you might give allegiance to. You are just adding an allegiance to humanity and the earth. That's uh, world citizenship is about recognizing the fact that we have rights and duties in a particular community or framework, and that that now that that community is the world, and that we see ourselves both as members of that community, meaning we can uh, also participate in governing that community. That, so it's almost like building a mindset, even in your own mind, and that you can share with friends and family and colleagues of, of who you are 
in addition to whatever other status or identity you might have. And you get a, a small plasticized world citizen card in seven languages and a large paper certificate. And I am excited to announce that I hope uh, once our new database is completed, maybe by the end of the summer, uh, we will actually have new IDs. And I can actually really quickly show you an example of our new plastic IDs, which uh, we have Gary on this um, as the sample. So it's Ooh, a plastic oh. ID. Oh, wait. Uh, isn't that cool? That's, wait, wait. Fantastic. And, and then on the back, you know, we can have the ghost image, a QR code that links to our website so people know who the issuing authority is, a barcode with, you know, information about you, you know, and it have, you know, all the kind of standard information that, that you know, any kind of card might have. So the, I'm really excited about, about the fact that we'll be issuing these new, these new documents, as well as new certificates, too. And all of this will be printed by machine. So I'm excited to, you know, you you, you may want to register now as a world citizen, or you may want to wait just until perhaps till August once uh, or September once or, we have that. Yeah, I, I would still, let's still take action today. Let's take action today. Um, the, the new cards will be out, but we also can, want to. You can upgrade to those also. Yeah, you can, okay. You can, current card and you can upgrade to that. And certainly the password is already machine readable and machine printed. So that is up to date. Yes, it's beautiful. And so, yes. Yeah, so now let's go back to our sharing our screen. Here we go. So these are, so everyone please go to, there we go, worldcitizengov.org, click on documents, apply online. Now, let's say, for example, uh, for some reason you don't want to, um, do the documents, but you really want to support what David's doing. You can also donate. Oh, I just want to tell shipping and handling does take time. So uh, give them plenty of time because it's a small organization that needs to be bigger. It needs to have a thousand people working there. They have so much work that needs to, needs to be done in the world and they're super small and they, uh, so do what you can, give what you can. We have um, also the big donate button, very simple. That's if that's if you don't wanna apply right now, we're all applying now. Anybody keep just, that's what we're doing now, starting right now, I'm gonna do the same thing. I already have uh, a lot of the documents, but I'm still going to uh, if, see if there's one I don't have. If not, I'm gonna donate right now. Um, okay. Let me just give, give a suggestion. Uh, anyone can do this on your phone, your laptop, tablet, et cetera. It really only takes four or five minutes max. When you're filling out the form to uh, apply for a document, whether it's an ID or the passport or, or whatever, please, as you move through it, the, the form, it'll ask you how quickly you want it. You don't have to get it expedited. Obviously, if you're not traveling anytime soon or don't need it, you could just put four, the, the sort of standard four-month time frame which does take a while because we have a, a lot of forms coming in. And obviously, as Melanie said, not a big enough staff to handle it all. Uh, but then you, at the minimum, you have to choose $5 for the shipping. It just requires a minimum mm -hmm. shipping. And, but then when you move on to fill in your, your, your given and, uh, names, your family names, et cetera, um, there's some other things just to be aware of that you can upload a photo of yourself, a selfie that you've taken against standing against a blank wall, preferably a white or off-white colored wall. Um, and just make sure to include, you know, a little bit of space above your head and down to your shoulders in that photo. It is useful to have that photo either on your phone or your laptop as a, a JPEG image. And the on the website, it uh, really only allows for an image that's 500 kilobytes or half of a megabyte or less, both for your photo 
as well as for an ID document that you might that we would need you to upload, like a copy of a state issued driver's license or or other ID, um, to confirm that you are who you say that you are, in a sense, a certification of, of the form. So both of those need to be less than 500 kilobytes. And because when you take a, a photo with your Android or iPhone uh, photo, usually those are four or five megabytes. It's a lot larger than you need. So you, you might have to manipulate the size of that photo. Worst case scenario, you can upload a flower or anything from your phone or computer. It doesn't matter as long as it's like an image. You can upload it, and then later on, you can simply email us your photo. You could even mail. I mean, some people still in certain parts of the world who don't have access to uh, the internet will just mail their forms with, uh, you know, a photo that they've taken at like a photo studio or, or someplace. So we mm -hmm. still accept forms offline as well as online. But the online system, I'm so delighted with it. It makes applying so easy. Yes, it's fantastic and so yeah, so easy. Here's. So for those who don't know, this is what the passport looks like. Here's my picture. I'll show it really quick. Woo! Woo! <laughs> yeah, you want to protect your, your personal information. Yes. And we, we protect your personal information too. Everything is, is <laughs> under actually lock and key, but also multiple passwords. And we're, you know, always upgrading our, uh, our security. Security. All yes. Time. All yes. the time. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, let's we go share, back. We don't share. We don't share your personal information with with anybody unless you ask us to. Like sometimes we have passport holders who say, you know, David, I I need you to write a letter to this authority in Pennsylvania, which we just did yesterday on behalf of an individual who was trying to use his passport for economic reasons. Actually, he was he was trying to identify himself to get the state to give him some benefits for his business, right? Uh, so we had to explain to the officials in the state why the world passport is a valid recognized and legal document and how the US government has recognized it on multiple occasions, even if they might officially say, oh, we don't recognize that for visa issuing purposes. Frequently, Homeland Security uh, has placed actual stamps in world passports, even given residency or work permits in the world passport. Now, not all the time. And certainly we always, when we get to talk to the public, like to say we never want anyone to have a false expectation that your rights will always be respected when you carry the world password, because they might not be. You might come across an official who's in an arbitrary, subjective, and sometimes discriminatory way, is having a bad day, they had a fight with their spouse or something, and is taking out their anger or frustration on, uh, um, on all the travelers who come through. Or you may come across an official who's just not aware of it and is almost afraid to stamp it because they don't know about it. But once we, you know, we, we always are trying to make governments aware uh, every year of the validity of the document. We always reach out to governments through legal letter writing campaigns uh, and explanations. So we do have our legal advocacy team to back up the validity of the documents to help you. But, you know, I certainly say, uh, and we say this when people apply online, at the very end, when you get the thank you for applying, it actually says the more tools that you have in your travel toolbox, the better. So that if you have a national passport, why not carry it? I mean, Gary Davis only had a world passport because he, he, when he gave up his citizenship, he had to hand over the U.S. passport to the to the embassy. To the and but I have I'm the president of this organization. I have both a U.S. passport and a world passport, and I I use both, but I don't travel that often. Uh, so uh, my my point is, it's good to have both though, because if one is rejected, you can use the other. Um, so anyway, uh, th this explains that sometimes people do have difficulties in exercising their rights with the documents, which shouldn't be the case because all national governments 
at least they give lip service to human rights. They say we'll support your rights. Even they've all agreed as UN member states to uphold, like I said, Article 13. Everyone has a right to freedom of movement and residence within the borders of each state. And everyone has the right to leave any country, including their own, and to return to their country. In principle, they've all agreed to respect that. But what do they do on a day-to-day -day basis? Usually it's it's like a 180 degree turnaround. They, they don't respect uh, that right to freedom of travel because national governments, especially the wealthiest ones, frequently want to keep keep people out. I mean, why do why do people want to build walls between places? I mean, I, I kind of feel like those walls aren't, aren't really just obviously to keep people out, but almost to keep us in. It becomes a prison, right? And why are we why are we cordoning off our our world? I mean, why can the 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 bird fly uh, anywhere it wants to? Is that bird smarter than we are? You know, why do the whales travel what you know thousands of miles uh, from one part of the planet to another? When we travel, we're not going from you know, Canada to, to China or from Brazil to South Africa or something. We're just going from one part of the planet to another. That's this mindset of world citizenship, which is embodied in the in the both the symbolic and practical tool of the world passport. I love how you said that, David. That's right. We're just traveling from one part of the world to the other. That's beautiful. And so as you, you said, it's very arbitrary so that the customs agent, whatever, can for whatever reason say no, um, especially tough with the United States. I did get two Homeland Securities uh, stamps on mine. Um, what I did was I, I gave my American passport first and then um, I showed, oh, would you, could you stamp my world passport? And the woman who I was talking to uh, said, is this the passport I'm not? supposed to stamp and before i could answer she stamped it so it's very important that we know our rights and we demand them i mean anytime you um you you know here in the united states most people feel comfortable um demanding okay you know that wasn't my fault why are you doing this you know demanding their rights it's not so easy and depending on what the situation but anyway the point is we have rights. We we need to demand them. We need to recognize them. So when you're traveling with uh, your national passport, show that first, then get the other one stamped. The more stamps it has, the more power it has, the more of these world passports we have out there, the more power they have, and the more people know about them. So it's easier to say, oh, it's just the world passport. Oh, okay. Mm. And so there you go. So back to our story. We, we don't have much time. So I want to make sure we have time to do our action. Yeah, our action do. today is supporting the world service authority the world citizen government um we're we want to get to those passports the go ahead and get to that website has anyone not been able to get there i see rebecca's here thank you rebecca for being here the new head of uh, citizens for global solutions so, so excited to have you here um so yeah go ahead and go to that uh website right this second i'll share my screen screen again so we can Melanie, while you're doing that, because um, there's so there's that there's also we want to mention the World Court of Human Rights and the plan. Yes. But before, okay, let's... just just really quick, I wanted to to say that we are so taught that we need a passport, right? Hmm. I mean, really. But Gary once told me that his parents traveled. Uh, uh, bef uh, I think it was between World War One and World War Two. They traveled to Europe. They didn't even need a password. They went, and it was really after World War One that national passports became so almost the requirement. So it hasn't even really been much more than a hundred years that the passport has even existed. But there's always been uh, uh, um, 
control over who can come and go. But in the past, of course, it was because of whether you had the money almost or based upon your race or ethnicity or place of birth, you might or gender, you might or might not have been able to travel in a sense. But the nation, nation state password system has unfortunately done is embedded some of those discriminatory practices in in their control of us on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, there, so there was never a world really where everyone could travel freely that never really existed, right? But this is the kind of world that we are trying to create is a world where it doesn't matter you know, how much money you have in your pocket, what you look like, what faith you might practice, what, you know, whatever uh, you believe in or whatever, uh, you should be able to travel freely on planet Earth. Exactly. Uh, as, a, as a human. And that what that would presuppose that we have a planet that is one, that we are all one, that there's a common federal uh, law, you might say, so that wherever we find ourselves, we are world citizens with the right to live, the right to work, the right to travel, the right to education, all of our fundamental human rights upheld. That's the ultimate goal of this symbol and practical tool of both the passport and uh, being world citizens. Beautifully said. And I'll quickly mention, okay, if you know anybody in the university, they can start a World Citizen Club. And here's a page about it. So you just go to, again, to the same website, slash world hyphen citizen clubs. That's another beautiful thing that's happening with the world citizen government. But and with Citizens for Global Solutions and the Young World Federalists. We are all yes, yes. of those clubs. We have a current club running at George Mason University. Uh, and Rebecca can also tell you that she has spoken with some students at Trinity Washington University, where we have a sort of an adjunct to the clubs, which is a world citizen ambassador program, where those students Often times students at that school are um, women uh, in, you know, sort of impoverished situation or, or vulnerable situations uh, economically or who haven't been able to have the same kind of advantage that other students at, at colleges or uni universities might have, and especially young women of color. And what was amazing about that program is not only did they get to hear speakers like Rebecca, like me, but they even got to go to the UN uh, and go to a global futures forum and actually have a say in our future. So that's amazing what we're doing with the clubs and, and other programs jointly. Excellent. My gosh. And then it just goes on and on and on. David, when do you sleep? When do, I know for a fact, David works when he gets home and a lot. So it's the, I don't think that's fair, but that's what he does. He's a dedicated human being to the plant, you know, dedicated to the planet and doing a beautiful job, but he needs us. He needs us. Okay, here we go. We have also, as we were talking about, the World Court of Human Rights.net. Another, put that up, uh, click, have a tab there so you can look at it after we close. And if in just 12 or 13 minutes, we're going to end the meeting, but it doesn't end, your action doesn't end there. So, David, please talk, talk about the World Court of Human Rights. Yes. Well, we just had a meeting today uh, with, uh, uh, which included, uh, two of the drafters of the two principal draft statutes for a World Court of Human Rights, Martin Scheinin, who's in, um, I think he's in Italy, or, well, uh, or Switzerland, or he was in Switzerland, but I think he's in Italy now, uh, and uh, Mark Ottinger, who's an attorney in Burlington, Vermont, who worked with Gary Davis while Gary was alive. Both, both uh, individuals have helped us to draft through design team, uh, uh, two different statutes, what we're calling the, the COSMA, uh, uh, NOAC, and Shining statute, or KNS statute, and then the Lucknow statute, and I've got a little 
uh, copy of the of the drafts of this draft statute. So we're trying to harmonize uh, those two statutes, and we're building a coalition for the creation of that court. Just like Rebecca is working uh, is a convener for the Washington Working Group on the International Criminal Court, and and how others back in the 1990s built a, a coalition that within a very few short years actually created the International Criminal Court, which is doing such so much important work to to deal with war crimes, uh, crimes against the peace, genocide, and now the crime of aggression. It's so important that that court exists to take to task uh, government, uh, government, governments or government leaders who are violating uh, uh, international law and especially now the law uh, against uh, violence, you might say, or war. Uh, and by, But why do we need a world court of human rights? Because although that like the ICC handles crimes, you might say, or international war crimes, the ICJ handles uh, uh, matters, disputes between nation states. There is no court for us, the people, we, the people of planet Earth, right? And this is the intention of creating a world court of human rights, because as Mark Ottinger, the, the primary drafter of the Lucknow statute, said, look, about 60% of humanity lives in a part of the world where there's not even a regional human rights system, which is Asia. I mean, there's an African charter on human and people's rights. There's a, a um, European Commission, uh, an European uh, Convention on Human Rights, there's an Inter-American Convention, there's even an Arab Charter of Rights, but there is no Asian uh, Convention and Charter of Rights. So that means like if you're a refugee, a Rohingya refugee who was living in Myanmar, and then your village was burned and you had to flee to Bangladesh, you can't get uh, justice or redress in Myanmar, uh, you were considered stateless. They didn't even allow those people who happened to be born there to get the citizenship of that country, which means they had basically no rights almost. Uh, and then if you fled to Bangladesh, you might still be having trouble getting rights respected and probably not have much success in getting even the Bangladeshi government to, to help you define redress against the Myanmar government. So where do you go? There's really almost very minimal uh, other venues at the international level, maybe the international, the, the Human Rights Committee of the International Treaty Body of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, but it has to be a country that's a has signed that optional protocol, which is so few countries, uh, you know, so so or trying to go through the human uh the the um office of the high commissioner for human rights, but that's not really for specific redress for individuals and groups. So this is why I'm so passionate about uh, wanting to convene uh, a coalition. And, and now we are convening this coalition for the World Court of Human Rights. We uh, have these two pledges, Melanie, which I think you put in the um, uh, in the chat, uh, or we, you can show one real real quick if you want. But the we have individual pledges. So anyone who want to sign, sign it, basically meaning you're just telling us your, your name, your email, and maybe writing a short sentence as to why you support this court. By the way, we do take people's data uh, and privacy, uh, obviously personally. So although you, in a sense, opt in to sharing your name and email with us, at any time you can opt out, just so that you know that that's a possibility. And all you would be getting from us would be maybe an occasional quarterly or something newsletter from the World Court of Human Rights if you were to sign that individual uh, pledge of support. We also have an organizational pledge of support, uh, meaning if you work at a particular organization, whatever that is, and you are either the head of that organization or you know somebody's the head of an organization, whatever it might be, if you can get them to sign, uh, you know, to support the, the creation of the court, we will start putting all the logos of all the different civil society, NGO, and, and even intergovernmental organizations that are will be agreeing to support 
the World Court of Human Rights. We already have had some amazing uh, people on on Melanie and Arthur's podcast um, uh, every week who've already said, oh, I love that idea for this court and I really support it. Yeah, so if you have ideas, the you can join the meetings. They're every month. The next one, actually, Arthur's going to be speaking at the next one, which is on July 26th. There's a break in June, but then we're meeting on July 26th, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, and Arthur will be actually talking about how there should be maybe a social or civil society aspect to the court, which I find really interesting because, of course, me as, as a lawyer, uh, I come from it like, oh, we need a treaty or we need, you know, like some kind of document that that shows the legal aspects of this. But there's also, in a sense, the human aspect to any court and how that might help people. So I'm hoping that Arthur will bring in that aspect that we haven't even really considered because there are, of course, polit political, legal, uh, social, economic, and practical issues that will we need to address in creating this court. We know what to do. Let's do it together now. I'm going to go, actually, I'm going to go donate right this second. So let's just take some uh, minutes ourselves to go pick something and do it. Let's do it together. Let's take action together. World citizens together taking action. Here we go. I'm going now. So here we go. Just take a couple minutes. Let me know if you have any questions. That's what we're here to do today. That's what our action days are all about, taking action. So you can sign the pledge. You have it in the chat. Uh, you can get any number of documents, easy peasy, wonderful stuff. You can go to the meeting, World Court of Human Rights. You can even donate. You can donate monthly, which I do already, but I'm going to do another. Thank you for that, donation. Melanie. Yes, You're whenever welcome. I see that, it warms my heart. Oh, <laughs> see, you. see, that does make it so supporting. Well, not only warms my heart, but it actually helps people. <laughs> like I said, it, uh, do you want to tell the story? Yeah, maybe I should tell my little. Yeah. This is a story. I wasn't there personally, but there was a caregiver for Gary when, you know, he was almost 92 when he died. He was uh, basically four days short, I think of his 92nd birthday. And at that point he had had, he had cancer. He became really frail. He was walking with two canes, believe it or not. And he was still living in his house in Burlington, Vermont, uh, his house, which I think on the, on, uh, on the, they had a plaque right outside his front door that, you know, said world government on, on the, on the outside of the, the house anyway, though, but his caregiver told me this story and I, and it really, indicates to me Gary's lifelong um, passion for, well, uh, humanity, for, for, our, for our rights, and for his never-ending work to promote uh, universal respect for our universal rights. Well, so this, like I said, it was about four days before he died. He was being uh, picked up by uh, an ambulance uh, at his house to go to a hospice uh, because he couldn't take care of himself. Even the caregiver really couldn't adequately take care of any, him anymore. So very, very sort of sad. And he was, so he was coming down his front steps using both of his canes, but believe it or not, in his left hand, besides his cane uh, and his other cane, his right hand, he had a copy of the Declaration of Human Rights that he grabbed off his coffee table or something as he was leaving his house. And so as he was walking into, to get into the ambulance, he handed the copy of the Declaration of Human Rights to the ambulance driver. And he said, do you know what this is? The ambulance driver's like, you know, he's sort of surprised that why would this person, you know, struggling to, to get into the ambulance be, you know, presenting him with something. And he, and he said, no, what is this? And Gary said, well, this is one of the most important documents that exists in the world. This is the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Please tell me that you will read this, that you will learn about your rights, and that you will then share it with other people. 
And the ambulance driver was sort of surprised, but 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 very happy that almost he was not only was you know he felt he was giving something to help this this frail person, but that he was getting something back from this person. So he was very thankful, and he said, "Of course, I will do so." And it just shows to me Gary's passion uh, to promote human rights, to and environmental rights, to promote world citizenship, even up to the, the right before he died. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story, Gary. Amazing, courageous man. I was, I'm so proud. I can say I'm, I was his friend. Ah, so we had some great conversations. I, when I, I had a long drive, like an hour each way. And so uh, I'd have him on the phone. We have some beautiful conversations together. And I just, when we were in India and I landed, it looked like it was going great. He got to, he was able to get to India with his world passport, uh, four out of five trips. But um, this trip, no. No, uh, it looked all good. They were, the custom agent was shaking his hand, and uh, then it turned uh, turned awry. And Gary was being taken off. He was uh, eighty something at the time, taking taken off by two customs agents. I was like, "What a courageous, powerful, amazing person who who's done so much to change the world, and has affected so many lives beautifully." So, and then we have David carrying on the torch. Thank goodness for David. David, such a dedicated person, um, having, uh, get, keeping this work going, doing such a beautiful job. And we want to um, gather more and more people aboard so they can help more and more people. And uh, I just want to thank everyone here who came today to do this action. I uh, thank you for doing the action, whatever action you did. Thank you so much for supporting the world citizen government, uh, supporting what you want to see in the world. That's my big, big, I've said it three times. I, can, I can't say it a fourth. I say three is all you get to say. But it's true. It's true. You know, we live this life and you have money and why save, you know, you gather all your money together and then, and it's hard to tell how much you need at the, you know, to support you, how long you're going to live, whatever. But along the way, we need to get, give some to what we want to happen. We want to give energy. There's also volunteering. There's also um, telling, just spreading the word. Everyone you know, uh, tell them, tell them, tell them, keep the word going, let people know about the World Service Authority, the World Citizen Government, the World Passport, Gary Davis, and now David Gallup. So thank you, one and all. We're going to well, end the meeting there. Thank you, David. Thank you. Well, thank you. I, I want to thank all of you, because as Gary would remind us, we're the governors. We we are the ones who are it's beholden to us to try to govern our world, to try to make the world, as Melanie just said, the, the world that we want. And it's up to us. I can't do it alone. Melanie can't do it alone. None of us can do it alone. We need to do it together. We need to do it as humanity or as human beings first and foremost. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you everyone for being here. We're very excited to say we have Red Cross. The Red Cross is coming. I'm going to share my screen again. Um, here's the Red Cross event with Joanne Dufour. We'll be here next week. And she is going to be talking about humanitarian law, which has been so helpful. We'll come back next week and every week to the People Powered Planet podcast. Bye. Thank you, David. Bye. Thanks, everybody. World citizens, lift up your voices. Oh, you know we got something to say. All we need is the same directions, heading in one way. One way.